Welcome to Cuban Genealogy Podcast, episode 404, April 2021. In this episode, Rich Dennis and I sit down with Molly Rogers of American Ancestors to talk about digitizing parish records in Boston. We discussed similarities between digitizing parish records for Boston and parish records in Cuba. And please join us in future episodes where we talk about old movie theaters in Cuba, Canary Island migration to Cuba, and colonial Cuba all coming up. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Brian Toscobello. Rich Dennis, this is Molly Rogers. So, um, hi, Molly. Hello. How I'm in you? DC. Rich is in Miami. Miami. <laughs> and I think, Molly, Miami. you're in Massachusetts. I'm actually coming to you from Vermont. Oh, wow. Oh, oh, wonderful. Wonderful. The last part of New England that was settled, I learned oh. that from, from, from your website. Um, it was very interesting. I have, a, I have a later question for you on study projects because I think that's, a, that's like a really interesting concept that I hadn't, hadn't heard about before. Um, but just to give you just a little bit of information on, on our organization, um, I met Brian, we met, I guess like a couple of years ago already. We were both, um, well, I guess I had been kind of digitizing certain records kind of on my own, really kind of unofficially in Cuba. Um, Cuba, you know, is its own, it's its own beast. It's, it's just really its own unique, like country in so many ways, good and bad and ambivalent. Um, it's, it's a very poor country. Um, there are like really nothing's not that much has been digitized in Cuba. Only one, uh, organization, one university has kind of gone in there and digitized, uh, certain slave records. So meaning, um, in Cuba records were segregated by, by white and then black and then anything black and, and, and mixed race were kept in one, in one set of books and the whites were kept in another. So this organization, Vanderbilt University actually was a pioneer in digitizing parish archives. Um, and so they've been doing that under, under Jane Landers uh, for I'd say close to 20 years. Um, but you know, it's been very selective. They do publish it on their website. It's called the Slave Society's Digital Archive. They do, they've done an amazing job. They also have records from other countries like um, Brazil, Colombia, basically anywhere um, like that where, where slaves uh, were taken. Um, but really no other digitization had been done in Cuba um, and uh, particularly on, on records for whites. Um, so, uh, a couple years back, I started to maybe five years, six years back, I started to kind of do it on my own. Brian and I met up about two years ago. If you go on Ancestry or any site that has records, you will not find anything for Cuba. You just won't. So anybody looking to do their Cuban genealogy, it's very, very difficult to find anything. Um, so Brian and I sort of got together. Um, we had this kind of mutual interest, passion for Cuban genealogy and 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 digitizing parish archives. Um, so we basically started doing it. I, about a year and a half ago, I met with the Archbishop's office in Havana and obtained permission to digitize all of the parishes that belong to um, their jurisdiction, which is basically like an area, kind of like a province, would yeah. be like Havana, Havana province, um, which is considerable. Actually, a lot of the more historic churches are in that area. Um, and still there are hundreds of parishes within that. Um, so we started to do that and, um, you know, we were able to digitize 
um, about so far maybe six parishes, Brian, maybe five or six parishes. Um, and then coronavirus hit. Um, I was actually there January 2020 and I, and I, and I did a parish um, and I had a couple of helpers. Um, and so that was great. So everything was looking wonderful. And then coronavirus hit and we haven't been able to go back. Um, so um, that's a little bit about us. I know Brian's been doing some great work with cemeteries as well. Um, and so basically what we've been doing are digitizing um, marriage records, baptismal records, um, burial records. Um, haven't touched the confirmations yet just because there's so much, it's so overwhelming. And then Cuba, and I don't know what your experience has been with the Catholic uh, records in New England, but Cuba also has um, marriage, um, how would you say it? For once I'm stumped. English. What are they called? The sanguity. Well, there's that. The, the that's um, but the the marriage um, the expedientes. How would you say that in English? There are these huge files that when when people would get married and they had to prove that they weren't related because most people were were related at some on some level back then. Um, they had to do this extensive compile this extensive file on both on the couple. And so those are great because it includes baptismal records, um, marriage records of their parents. It's, it's a very rich source. Um, and so a lot of the Cuban parishes have these, but we haven't been able to touch those just because we really haven't had the, the resources yet. And then um, of course we were hit with the, with the, the coronavirus, so we haven't been able to go back. Um, so that's a, a little bit about us. Um, do you, um, can you tell us a little bit about the background of the American Ancestors Project? Yeah, so um, NEHGS as an organization, we sort of have like a dual brand. We've been known as the New England Historic Genealogical Society since like, I don't know, 1847. Um, and American Ancestors is sort of our online brand of uh, trying to convey that we offer more records than just New England, although certainly we're very rich in New England records. Um, and so we offer uh, actually 1.4 billion searchable names in our databases on our website. Um, and then we sort of have a variety of different things related to genealogy going on. Um, certainly since the pandemic, we've had many, many online programs. Um, and if you would like to hire a genealogist or ask a genealogist for advice on how to do your own research, those are sort of, that's what we do overall as an organization. Um, on the database team in particular, uh, we started working with the Archdiocese of Boston in about 2016. Um, and that's when I began working there. And so I sort of started work on this project as like, not exactly my first thing at NEHGS, but like I've been working on it since the beginning and sort of the whole like making it happen step, I, I wasn't on board yet. Um, but so what we're doing is we're partnering with the Archdiocese of Boston to digitize their sacramental records. So it sounds a lot like what you're working with. It's mostly baptisms, marriages, confirmations. Um, I think in the books that we've digitized, there's a record of almost any kind of sacrament that you can imagine, but yeah. um, 
it's, it's mostly those three things. And so we started out working from 1789, which was the beginning uh, through 1900. Um, Thomas Lester, who is the director of the library and archives at the Archdiocese of Boston, um, sort of worked to gain um, approval from the church to do this project. And so okay. starting with sort of the conservative deadline of 1900, um, made everyone comfortable in terms of privacy considerations and right. just sort of an initial scope of the project. Yeah. So then I think in about 2019 was when we signed the agreement with them to keep working on the project. So right now we're working on 1901 to 1920. And again, I think 1920 is a pretty great cutoff in terms of privacy and yeah. also like creating a digestible chunk of the project um, because Absolutely. the way immigration to Boston grew at the beginning of the 1900s, our, our second half, even though it's only 20 years, I think we're scanning almost as many books as the first half of the project. Right. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you one more thing and then you can yeah. <laughs> ask me yeah. your next question. Yeah. Uh, sort of our end product is we're creating two databases on our website. Um, and so one of them is free. It's available to guest members. Um, and it's basically like you're just looking through the book on our website. Um, it's image only. There's nothing uh, searchable, but it can be, especially if there's an actual like physical index in the book, it can be a really great resource. Um, and then we're working on a searchable database that is available to NEHGS members. And so this database works the same way most of our databases work. You can type in a name and find the page that that person's name appears on. Um, so that's sort of what we're doing so far. <laughs> that, that sounds great. Um, so how, when did American um, ancestors decide to kind of publish them, publish all this on, on their own website? Was it just kind of a natural decision or? Um, yeah, I think it was, you know. You know there's so many, there's so many websites like Ancestry and, and Find My Pass. I think Find My Past uh, also holds a lot of Catholic uh, archives. Yeah, and so uh, we, I guess we do this in general. Uh, we had yeah. uh, many websites or databases on our website before we started this project. So it was okay. sort of the logical step. Um, we have partnered with Ancestry. So they have an index to the database. So. Oh, okay. Um, you can find, you can search for these people in Ancestry. And I think when you get to the page, it'll say, if you want to see the image, go to AmericanAncestors.org. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So different than anything Cuba. Cuba is so complicated. <laughs> it's so great to have all, the, all those partner, partnerships. Um, we, um, one, of, one of the things about us, perhaps, that, that you should know is that we, we haven't obtained permission yet to publish these. Um, so we're kind of working on that and we're working, um, especially, and I was, you know, supposed to do that this last year, but I haven't been able to go there yeah. in person to talk to the Archbishop's office. But um, we did want to obtain permission to at least um, publish indexes at first. Um, one of the problems, again, uh, in, with, with, with these Cuban records is that the Cuban churches, again, which Cuba is very poor, the churches, you know, don't have resources, they don't have laptops. Um, so that's one of, one of the things that we're providing as we digitize each parish is we, we provide them with a laptop so that they can actually access these records and make life a lot easier on them. Um, but um, we, 
we haven't obtained permission yet to, to publish uh, the records because the churches make money off of this. So the churches make money off of providing um, the, these records for people who request them. So we have to be very, very sensitive with that. Um, but you're, um, so you, uh, are all these records indexed as well? Um, in the searchable database, yes. In the searchable database, okay. Yeah. And are these uh, records also transcribed? So we transcribe, let's see, first name, last name, uh, record type, year, location, parents' names, and spouse's name where okay. applicable. Then for this database in particular, we're also capturing the witness names, um, okay. which has been really helpful. You know, if your ancestor has a really common name, uh, it can be really helpful to be able to search on the witnesses. If you know who their family members or neighbors or friends were, maybe it can help you narrow down, like this is right. my ancestor named Mary Brown, not all of the other Mary Browns who also came to Boston. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I like that model a lot. It yeah. sounds like something we, we could do. Um, one of the things that we've also been, been doing or trying to do because um, we're all, everybody's busy, but is to transcribe these documents to, to, to help index them for the church. In some cases that the churches have them indexed and in many cases they don't, or the indexes are like a hundred years old. Yes. Um, and a lot of the archivists at the church are constantly having to look for records because a lot of Cubans are trying to obtain their Spanish citizenship mm -hmm. because if they obtain their Spanish citizenship, then they can get a visa to leave the country you know, and to come back maybe, but that's, it's that, that's like a big prize. Um, so these churches are actually quite busy trying to get these records for, for people. And then obviously they have a lot of people calling from wherever, the US, Miami, Europe, who wanna do their ancestry. And the only way that we can do our ancestry is to call these, since there's, we don't have nothing online, is to call these churches. Um, and connections with Cuba have been really bad. Like a lot of times you can't hear them on the phone. It, it's, just, it's, it's just really bad. Um, so they, they make a lot of money off of this. Um, and so providing them indexes would, would certainly make things a lot easier for them. Um, In our project, I think we've run into similar, not exactly the same reasons to digitize. Like uh, there's definitely the people calling the archives and wanting those records for genealogy or their if they're getting married, et cetera. Um, so I think that it's a huge, burden off of, I don't know, I think it has given them time to work on other work. Um, but then there's also the condition of the books. Um, and so some of the oldest books have been in use for so long that they're definitely falling apart. The edges yeah. of the pages are raggedy. Um, and so I'm, yeah. I'm sure it's the same in Cuba. Oh, where, I'm sure you know, worse. Yeah. probably worse because Cuba you know, there's so, has so many issues with weather and hurricanes and humidity. Um, every time I go back, you know, a book is like gone, uh, you know, yeah. it's just, it's just deteriorated. Um, I digitize some, I mean, books that I was scared to, to, to touch, but I was just like, you got to do it. Otherwise this is like going to go, yeah. you know, and very carefully just set the, you know, sometimes the pages just crumble. You just touch it and it crumbles, you know, um, so it's definitely a race against time. And that's actually really been our number one motivation for doing that is to preserve them and then to help the churches. And then, of course, to to find a way to provide this information for, for researchers.
Um, is there like, can you discuss kind of the importance of these ecclesiastical records? Like is like um, how, like if you can see, like what does this mean? You know, can you see an ancestor's life uh, transpire through these records? Like connect, how do you make history from these records, you know? I mean, I think it's really, it's really amazing to be able to find that physical evidence of your ancestor in the records. Um, and like, if you're into genealogy as like the puzzle hunt, you know, you can like find maybe the clue that's going to lead you into your next question. Um, and I just like, one of my favorite parts of the records are when they've written in small notes on the sides. Sometimes, you know, you might have the person's marriage that was recorded on their baptism record. And so now, you know, oh, maybe I should search here, or maybe it's a note, what you were saying about like, if someone was like a little bit closely related, they'll note that down. Or if someone is marrying someone who was not Catholic, you know, they have to sign the marriage promise that says that they're going to raise their children Catholic and not interfere with their faith. So there's yeah. there's all these like, you know, maybe, maybe it's just a standard baptism that has all the basic information, but sometimes you get these little special extra clues and, you know, the confirmation or first communion records can be helpful if you're tracing a family through time and say you found them in, I don't know, the 1900 census and the 1910 census, but where were they in between? Um, that it can sort of help you figure out where, trace the whole family. Um, let me look at my notes. I think that's mostly what I was thinking, um, but we've definitely found with some of the immigrant communities to Boston, um, it doesn't necessarily seem like all of the people who are recorded in the church records got recorded in the civil records as well. Um, so I think using both the records that were kept by the state and the records kept by the church, like in conjunction, you can really yeah. try and find. When did the records from the state start? I mean, Massachusetts, it was pretty early. Um, depending okay. on the town, I, I think it can be like almost as early as the pilgrims. Um, oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, but- Cubas don't start until 1885 is when the civil registry starts in Cuba. Spain started in 1870. Uh, so before that, it was just all church. Yeah. It was, it was that the church had that you know, major role in, in people's lives. Um, and what about, bur I, th I find burial records really interesting because you can, there's so many things you can get from them. Like in, in some cases, you'll see the cause of death, do, do the burial records that you um, that you're dealing with do like do they list that? Do they list? Sometimes I've seen them list the actual uh, social status of the person, like where they're. I, I guess, and Brian, maybe you know about this with the cemeteries. Like they, it'll list on the side whether they're poor, whether they are wealthy, whether they're kind of in between, um, and I guess that means that they're buried in that in a certain section of the cemetery. I don't know. Still haven't figured that one out, but. We, we actually haven't done that many burial records. Okay. It sort of varies by parish. Um, there's definitely like a few of them scattered throughout the project, um, but not every parish kept them. Um, we're also working with the 
uh, Catholic Cemetery Association of the Archdiocese of Boston. Um, and so they sort of have more records based around death and it definitely varies by cemetery, whether it's like a lot of information or a little less information. Um, but I, I agree, it's, it's really fascinating when you can find the cause of death and um, yeah. sometimes the lot owners, again, sort of like the witnesses, they might be someone who is tangentially related to the family and not quite as close. So you're tracking those connections between people. Yeah, yeah. And you can see disease outbreaks too. Like there's yeah. just a string of records that I found. I mean, there's several, but where you see everyone's dying of cholera. So I'm sure there was a cholera outbreak outbreak in that town or maybe in Cuba, but you'll research it and you won't find it. It's, it's online or you won't find a record of that outbreak. Yet you're, it's like you're like discovering this history that, you know, has not been documented yet. In some yeah. cases. So there's so much that you can do with that. Um, I find the notion of the study projects really interesting. Um, can you talk about that and how you incorporated that into this, like into the database? And Yeah, so NEHGS has this concept of a study project is like an in-depth look at a particular area in a particular time. Um, so we're working on Western Massachusetts families in 1790. And so if you have ancestors who were enumerated in the 1790 census in, um, there's like four Western Mass counties, um, two of them historical that got split into like four modern counties. And so uh, the editor for that project will accept sketches from NEHGS members or interested researchers who have like done a deep dive on a specific family who lived in that area at that time. And so we're collecting them all together. Um, I'm also working with someone on early Vermont settlers uh, from I think 1700 to 1784. So he's, he has a really large scope. He's trying to document people who lived in Vermont prior to the Revolutionary War. Um, and he's going through both like by time period and by county as well, um, just to try and like, when, when you have these like big ideas, how do you sort of narrow them down and make them smaller? Um, right. I, I think they're really super fascinating. Um, I think there's a lot of genealogical work that goes into it. Um, we have some other uh, projects as well. I, I think it all started with the Great Migration, which is sort of, is all of the people who came to New England right after the Pilgrims after the in a really yeah. uh, small amount of time. Um, yeah. And so that was a huge thing done by Robert Charles Anderson. Um, so yeah, I think it could be fascinating to do that. Like you could, could you identify a particular region of Cuba or a region of the United States that a lot of Cuban immigrants came to? Like, I think right. there's so many fascinating so ways you could take that. Yeah, there's a lot you can do. I mean, even tracking disease outbreaks. Yeah. Just, you know, I mean, there's just so much you can do with that. Um, Ryan, did you... I'm sorry, I don't want to monopolize the... Oh, no, you're good. Um, I mean, to get back to that point, you know, when Rich and I are digitizing those books and we get to the to the war periods of Cuba and the books get so thick, it's kind of like a, you know, a, a little awareness awakening, like, you know, this, this is history, right? As we're digitizing, you know, these very important things that are slowly going to disappear over time. So um, I, I kind of was curious about OCR because... 
when I tell people about the project, they're always like, oh, well, there's, there's gotta be computer programs for that. And I'm like, well, you know, the, the, like the pages in, in the book, in, the priest will write at the very, they start at the very edge of the book and that's the seam. So when you take a picture, it's kind of bent, like OCR is not gonna fix some of these problems from 200 years ago when uh, I went to look at your pages just to see, and I'm like, I can't, I'm a native English speaker and it's hard for me to, to, to see the English in these records from 200 years ago. So now you add, you know, Spanish and then you add colonial Spain Spanish. I, you know, uh, we have one researcher that's trying to do an OCR, but I'll, I'll see a priest that has really beautiful, you know, handwriting and then half the page is his signature on that, on that page. So you get to learn a lot about these priests. And then I know when the next priest comes along, I'm like, oh, he did not, you know, I can't read his handwriting. I'm not getting his personality. It's just such an interesting um, experience to go through when you, when you spend hours and hours doing this. So do you, have you used any kind of OCR, or any kind of technology that kind of speeds you through the process? Honestly, we have not. We've, we've run into the same handwriting difficulties that you have since it's all handwritten. Um, we have a team of volunteers and we work with an indexing vendor to um, do all of the indexing work. And, you know, I mean, it's amazing how poor handwriting some of these priests had and some of them, it looks nice. Uh, and I, I don't know if you're also dealing with Latin, um, but many of the records were written in Latin. And so we are trying to, when you can search it on our site, we're trying to record literally what was written on the page and also an anglicized alternative because we don't expect our researchers to know what the Latin form of William was or John, you know, we don't want them to have to search on Latin names. Um, so it's, it's all been done by people. We haven't, we haven't really dive, dove into the world of OCR for this. <laughs> that, thankfully we haven't come across Latin, that Spanish is challenging enough. <laughs> yes. Um, and we, uh-huh. We've, we've had uh, challenges with foreign languages as well. Some of the national parishes, they'll write the records in the language where the people came from. Um, and so it's definitely like recruiting the volunteers who have uh, this, like experience with this kind of genealogy and can read the, the language has been really, we, their, their help has been invaluable. Um, yeah. The, the hardest thing that we encountered was the German parish, which was one of the earliest parishes. And what I had no idea before I started this project is there's a kind of German handwriting that doesn't use the same like letters that we use. Um, they, they have sort of a different script. And so like, whether you speak German or not, you have to know how to read the script. Um, is it like which, Cyrillic? Uh, no, I, I so, it's it seems complicated like researching it I don't want to like say I think it might be called current um and they just okay. you know it's it's just a little different like the yeah. the way the letters are formed are not quite the same as you know I don't speak Spanish but like I feel like as long as they're using a Roman alphabet like I could hopefully transcribe some of it yeah. um yeah. and well Germany I guess Germany was so many it was split into so many pieces there were so many different yeah. principalities and states within Germany so maybe you know I, I, I have there's another kingdom or something 
I, I'm sure you've found this too, but I feel like you can never quite anticipate like the weird challenge that you're going to find in the books that you're working with. Yeah, no, we, we um, it's sometimes the, the stuff, I mean, we'll have to constantly send each other the uh, a screenshot of the image so that somebody can decipher. And fortunately, a lot of the people that help us are native Cubans, like we're actually born there and speak a lot more fluent Spanish than Brian and I do. Um, although I'd like to think I, you know, I can, I can read it, but sometimes it's just, it's just hard to decipher. So we have, we do have helpers that, that, that help us, um, with all these documents. And actually that's like how, um, so you, you have a team obviously of, of people that help in different capacities. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Cause we're obviously still trying to like build our organization and, and, and kind of figure that out. Yeah, so we started with um, volunteers who had been working with us on our databases for a long time at NEHGS, but obviously this was a really big project and we were going to need like a little bit more help um, than just that. Um, so we reached out to different genealogical societies. I, I mean, like, it, you're, you are one, um, but, you know, there's people who are interested in French-Canadian genealogy in New England or, you know, there's a variety of different regional um, genealogical societies that we tried to reach out to. Um, Facebook has, like, a lot of genealogical groups um, that we have done some recruiting. Uh, then I feel like there's, like, community connections, like... Um, we've struggled to find volunteers who are really knowledgeable of like Polish or Lithuanian. And so trying to reach out to like the actual church um, now and see if there are people who go there who have this interest. Um, you know, I feel like it's a, it's a lengthy and time consuming process to try and find all those connections and find the right people who are out there who have the time to help. Um, but it's definitely something that we've Put a lot of work into. It sounds like you would need uh, like full-time staff just to run the volunteers because that's that's a big project and to keep them motivated and to keep them you know feel like their work is valued so we're yeah we we actually do have one of my colleagues that's her her whole job um when we started it was me managing some volunteers and doing everything else um and we were really lucky to be able to hire someone for that position. That's amazing. Um, I just had a quick question about ownership. So we've been approached by, you know, some large genealogical companies that want to help us, but I can't, you know, we don't own those records and we don't want to sell those records. So we're, you know, we're kind of, do, we're doing our own fundraising on our own, which is taking us longer, but it's, you know, we're trying to do it the right way. So what's the best way to navigate that? Like the Catholic Heritage Archive would be a natural partner for us, but, but you know, I don't own, nobody owns those records except the church technically. So, you know, I don't see that happening for years and years and we don't want the project to fizzle. So the question of ownership is super interesting. And that's why we're trying to hope to publish the the indexes in a, you know, like in a PDF format where we're not giving away um, pictures of the books and we're not, 
giving away those records for free, but someone like me who I get, you know, to the, to the middle of the 1800s and then the names and dates, I, without an index, there's, you know, I'm done. So that's the way we, you know, I want to kind of approach it. We don't want to cut anyone's livelihood out if they're making money from this process, but it also helps them. The books get preserved and it, they can go, you know, everyone knows how to get to that record. And just knowing that date, I'm going to still want to hire that person to go get that record. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like ownership and marketing and letting and making allies to make sure everyone knows that this isn't, you know, some sort of scheme or something. Yeah. Um, for us, like, obviously the archdiocese has the books they provide they like let us borrow the books for about a month um we scan them and then we provide the images back to them um so we have a copy of the images and they have a copy of the images um and they have given us permission to publish the images on our website um and in our case we uh own the index that we're creating um but you know it's sort of like (laughs) I, I think like as you're setting up the contracts, like figuring out like is if you've taken these images and you give them back to them, are you okay with them using them as they want to? Um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of people management and finding the right um, get, get like getting consensus. I I think that um the success that we've had with this project, much of the feedback was, wow, I've been waiting for so long to find my ancestors record and it was so easy to find it now that it's been indexed. Um, So if there's any way that you could come up with like a small mini example and show them how it works well, like, and then argue for that to like apply that model to even more of them. I don't know if that's, too broad or <laughs> no that's a good point so you know when 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 the project meets with the archdiocese in, in in cuba you know it's good to let them know what's going on in boston right now in that archdiocese and for example i have relatives in in chicago and chicago's um catholic database for catholic cemeteries is online at every cemetery and you can go through millions of records at the cemetery online for free for and there's no I think there's some privacy maybe for like the last 50 years, but just to know that the world is moving forward. Um, and, you know, you said like 1900, 1920, you know, I'm comfortable with, with any time frame we need to put on it, you know, to protect yeah. people that are still living or, you know, protect, protect those records of close to people who are still living. So um, just connecting to the Boston Archdiocese and kind of now making this bigger picture, you know, Spain, I'm sure, has a process. I'm sure Italy has a process. So we need Cuba to know that they're not the first one at the table and they need to, yeah. they need to join the, they need to join, they need to join the, the movement. So. And I, th- I think getting the buy-in can be hard, but we've, we've had a positive experience with the response of, from the public to our database. And so you're the database manager. So what, what, what is like, what's a typical, day for you in that uh maybe i should start with like what the whole process for us looks like um so we i said that we borrow about you know 50 books in a month um and so we 
started with some volunteers and now since the pandemic has hit, um, we have some uh, staff who have been scanning the books. Um, and so then once the book is scanned, then uh, I can do the work to make it available in the free image only database. Cause it's pretty easy once you have the images to make the spreadsheet and make it available. Um, it obviously takes a little bit more time to go through and index the full book. Um, so uh, once it goes into that process, we have one person look at it. Another person is then going to proof their work um, as we were talking about with handwriting difficulties and things, you know, it's always helpful to have a second pair of eyes. Um, and then once an entire parish is complete, then myself or one of my colleagues is going to look at the whole spreadsheet one more time just to make sure that everything fits our standards and there's no outstanding questions. You know, there's going to be like one or two names that nobody's going to read, but uh, we try and make that as small as possible. And so then I'll do the work to make it available on the website. Um, so a typical day for me I might be working on the image only project or the searchable project. Um, and so it's creating spreadsheets, reviewing spreadsheets. Um, and then we sort of have a custom process for uh, going through and making, turning that spreadsheet into tables in our database that can then be available for search. And so that, that whole process sort of links the information in the spreadsheet with that physical image of the page. And so then um, we also like sort of the final step is to communicate with our audience and our users that this information is now available. Um, so we have a blog called Database News where we'll post about new additions to not just this project, but any projects that we're working on. Um, and I know I, I've corresponded with a few different people who are specifically interested in certain parishes. Um, and so it's always good to be able to send them the database news posting and say, look, it's available now. <laughs> That's what I dream of. I, I dream of that. I actually dream of that, of like, this is available now, you know, like you can get the, you know, records from here and it's like, and it's like in red because it's brand new or something, you know, but yeah. unfortunately we can't, um, do that yet uh although there are there are some alternatives that that i think we can pursue specifically with educational websites like like a related to a university where i think the buy-in with the the um, archbishop's office would be would be easier yeah um because again vanderbilt records keeps a lot of these records on their website um but their um their pitch to the archbishop was that this was for educational purposes. So we'll see. <laughs> I mean, we try and like, obviously we're oriented towards genealogists, but I think that this is valuable information to historical researchers, to educators. It's, it's not, genealogists are certainly not our only audience. Right, exactly, exactly. And just to get back to your, you know, I'm on your mailing list and every, I think I get like maybe once a month or every couple of weeks, I get your email saying that these new databases are, have been added. And it, it just makes me so hopeful for our project. Like they just added like 10 more volumes. So just so, you know, you know, the organization that you, and you may not know that there's those of us out there that really appreciate 
um, the work that the work that you're doing. So I have my father's side is Cuban and my mother's side is American that goes all the way back, you know, to um, colonial time. So I always thought they were Southern, but you know, those Northerners came down, you know, I don't, I don't have many Southerners that went up, but there were definitely Northern Northerners that came down. So my, I go all the way up the whole coast. So, you know, the, I go from, you know, like Maine down to Cuba, you know, and then back to England and Spain. So just, just to know that um, the work that you're doing is inspiring for me as a genealogist and as, you know, for this project that we have, it's just, um, yeah, I, I get these emails and I'm like, I got to go index a book right now. So yeah, <laughs> well, absolutely. thank you for that. That's, that makes it, that's like, makes the work that we're doing worth it. It's, you know, I've been thinking lately, one of our volunteers sent me an email and it reminded me that we're doing all of this work to make these records available online, which, I mean, it's what we've been doing since before the pandemic, but it's, it seems even more meaningful now. <laughs> yeah. And you're inspiring all kinds of history and records from all kinds of different countries you may not even know, like Cuba, you know? Um, yeah, seeing that work and the work that you're doing, and uh, this one is available now, I see that. And like, Brian, like you said, it's like a jolt of like adrenaline, like, oh my God, that's great. You know, like we, we've saved that. You know, that's like the way I look at it. We've saved those records. Um, so thank you for, for all of the great and, and very important work that, that you're doing, Molly. Well, it's been really exciting to hear about what you're doing as well. Um, it seems like there's a lot of interesting and important work to be done in Cuba. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's so many. I think there's like 300 parishes in Cuba. I think it's a total, right, Brian? Yeah, you know, with yeah. Some got absorbed, you know, and some books are held yeah. some other. So we're trying to document all those too. So people don't get frustrated. Like my parish doesn't exist anymore, but you know, two parishes over, that's where those books are being kept. So um, just a quick question about those books that you find that are damaged. Do you have a laboratory or a separate vendor that deals with those? Uh, we do have an in-house conservation lab. Um, so we're lucky in that regard. Um, and so if something is too fragile for us to digitize, um, we can send it to the conservation lab and they'll, um, you know, they might disbind the book so that it's not as tight in the binding or patch the pages that are tearing. Um, so that's, that's how we've handled a lot of that. And then just a quick question about databases. So um, we're developing our, our strategy for for keeping track of all these images and because it gets really overwhelming, we'll quickly go from 100,000 to like 500,000, but with, so we wanna make sure we have a plan for that. So as a little project starting out the way we do, I'm kind of leaning toward AWS. Do you have any kind of like, I'm not an IT person, but I'm kind of figuring out which database and which languages, you know, we would, you know, we don't wanna wait 10 years. We wanna kind of start getting something out there eventually once the, once the church says it's okay. If I'm sure a university is going to say that, so, you know, we'll, we'll figure that out, but I also want to be prepared to do our own database, yeah. you know, or our own version of a database that might be more, more changed more quickly than how a university might be able to get it updated. So kind of what, what do you think about, you know, database and technology for, for a project like ours? So we have sort of this custom database that's been built over many years, we use a SQL database. Um, and honestly, I think there's a lot that just getting started, you can 
keep track of in spreadsheets and file structures. And I know that that's like not the perfect like go forever, but you know, we keep all of the images from one book in a file labeled with the book name. And then all of the books from a single parish are gonna be in the next tier. Um, so each parish has a folder that has then all of the books and all of the images. Um, we have done some work with a genealogist named Dallin Quas, um, and he built our family tree product. And um, I, he's working on a new project to like, I think he's trying to make uh, information available for smaller genealogical societies who might not have similar infrastructure. And so you might want to, uh, I don't know all the details on exactly what he's working on or what phase of the project it is, but he might be someone that would be worth talking to. So I could definitely uh, share his contact information if he's, if he's willing. His name is Mr. Cro is Cross, is his last Cross, name? Cross, with a Q-U-A-S-S. Yes, if you, you know, if you would tell him there, you know, we're, we would humbly appreciate, you know, just a few minutes of his time. So that would be amazing. And then just to let you know, I've, I've joined like the uh, Arch Archivist Association. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to describe, Rich, what, are we historians? Are we archivists? Are we genealogists? Are we storytellers? Are we database managers? But like, we're all these things. Yeah, you're all of them. <laughs> I'm a historian, so I mean, that's how I look at it because history is is broad. You know, this include we can put this into history. You know, you're preserving history. Um, that's just how I look at it. But yeah, we're all of the above. So check the all of the above box. <laughs> Someone called me a storyteller, so. I'm gonna, that one sounds the most romantic, so I'm sticking with that one. <laughs> Storyteller's good. good. Well, that's all the questions I had. So this has been so helpful for us, and um, I appreciate you giving us your time. And thank you so much for your time, Molly. Absolutely, it's been it's been really great to learn about your work, and um, fun to talk about mine as well. <laughs> that's awesome. Yes. And can I ask you real quick? It said in your bio that you had a website for your grandmother. So. Could you tell I, me about that? I'm still working on it. I feel so like chagrined that my answer is not, I have this beautiful thing for you. But um, right before I started work at NEHGS, uh, one of my, I don't know, my grandma's cousin maybe passed away and he had been maintaining this little website. Um, and I have been like trying to, I, I like pledged to my family that I would uh, keep it up and make like improve it and um I feel like I got distracted in the rabbit hole of like okay so here's sort of the family lore but like can I track these people down in all the censuses and you know vital records from Maryland are not as easily available online as they are here like in Massachusetts and so I I like don't have a beautiful product to show you yet but um I I hope to <laughs> Well, if you ever need a researcher in DC, you let me know. Our, our, everything's closed here at the moment, but we're hoping in March or April that the research, you know, Library of Congress and, and our, the archives here will open up. So there's a lot of things that aren't online even for American research, so. Yeah, and my grandma's family is mostly from Baltimore. So oh, wow. I think on Find My Past, I, I was able to find use some of their Catholic records research, um, but the, you know, all that, the civil records, I think, are not available online yet. 
Interesting. Baltimore's not that far. And I think Rich, Rich goes to Annapolis quite often. So yeah, I love Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that's all for me. I just want to thank you again so much. And um, you, you've motivated us and you've given us a lot to think about. And I'm, I'm super mm-hmm. excited to keep going. And who, who, knew, who knew that Boston would help Cuba one day in this way? You know, it's, it's amazing. Or Vermont. <laughs> well, it was great to talk with you both. Thank you so much. I'll send you an thank email you so once, much, uh, once it goes online, just so you know, you know where, 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 where it went and what happened. So maybe cool. I think... We'd be happy to maybe promote it on our social media as well. Um, and like, as you sort of come up with your plans, like if you did want to partner with American Ancestors, um, I think that myself and my uh, colleague, Don LeClaire, who's our Associate Director of Search and Systems, we'd be happy to talk more with you about what that might look like. That's amazing, okay. Thank you so much. I know it sounds like you have like you're not you're not there yet. Um, no, I mean, but it, it certainly gives us another option. I mean, you know, it all is going to hinge on the Archbishop's office and what we yeah. can and can do. But perhaps a Catholic connection might be attractive, you know, rather than say an Ancestry.com connection, where you know what I mean, where people, yeah. you know, perhaps that might be appealing to them. I know university website they're, they're familiar with because they allowed Vanderbilt to do that. So they actually gave Vanderbilt permission to do that. But Vanderbilt is only printing slave records. So they don't really make money. They don't have too many people going to the churches um, paying money for records of people that were, um, that were non-white because the records people are looking for are Spanish or are white people so that they can establish their Spanish ancestry so that they can get the, their Spanish citizenship. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like that kind of situation. So they make money on the records that are, um, you know, of, of, of white people there. So that, that, might, that I think might be a, a problem, but I think, I think we should be able to do it. And I think perhaps something like, like a Catholic connection would be, would be appealing. So you never know. Thank you for extending that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. You'll, you'll hear from us, especially when we have good news. So awesome. Thank you so much. It was great to talk with you. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. Thanks again, Molly. Thank you.